I love uh, Mark Twain's quote, I can teach anybody how to get what they want out of life. The problem is I can't find anybody who can tell me what they want. I was listening to a businessman. He was sharing about a friend of his, very wealthy, that called and said he had a new piece of art. Come and see it. And so he went to see this man's piece of art. He was very excited. And he said it took him 17 years trying to win it at auction. And the piece of art is a Rothko. And that's Mark Rothko's paintings. Mark Rothko committed suicide in the 70s. His paintings are worth millions of dollars. And so he asked this man, how much did you pay for this Rothko? And the man said, $81 million. Now, if you haven't seen a Rothko before, they are simply squares, rectangles that are red and oranges together. And so the man was standing there with his friend and he said, you paid $81 million for this. He said, I, I just don't get it. It's a, it's a red square. And the man said, well, it's a Rothko. And so it's worth that much money, $81 million. So people struggle like Mark Twain to know what it is that they want. Advertisers think they know what they want. Uh, just a few weeks ago at this point, uh, the Taco Bell chain came out with the chicken chalupa. It's a new sandwich. The shell, instead of being a taco shell, is a fried chicken shell. And it's stuffed with lettuce and tomatoes and cheese and avocado sauce. And Taco Bell said this, this item has proved to be more popular than our company's expectations. Another sandwich coming out this year, the triple play dog. It's going to be at ball fields at different ones, but the triple play dog advertisers, again, they think they know what people want. A triple play dog is a hot dog wrapped in a hamburger wrapped in bacon. So what is it that people want? Let's spend a few moments. We're going to look at Paul's words in the book of Romans and this verse Habakkuk chapter two, where Habakkuk says this about his life. He said, I will stand my watch I set myself on the rampart and watched to see what he will say to me. Habakkuk chapter two, verse one. Habakkuk, he says, I will stand my watch. Habakkuk lived same time as Daniel, as Ezra, as Nehemiah, Ezekiel, and they all had these tremendous ministries in the Old Testament. And Habakkuk says, I will stand my watch. Each of us has that same call to stand our watch. Now Habakkuk says, I will stand on the rampart. A rampart is a castle wall. And he says, I will watch to see what he, God, will say to me. Habakkuk had a question. His question was, God, why do people living in sin seem to have so much prosperity? And the answer came to him. Essentially, God said he's in control of things. And don't look at external circumstances. Look at what's inside of a person. What is it that people really want? In understanding what people want, we have to be sure that in the midst of our lives, we stand our watch, whatever God has called us to do. And then stand on the rampart, look, wait to see what God answers. Your questions, my questions. Something to think about. Incredible statistic out of the United Kingdom. Think about it. This is where Charles Spurgeon in the 1800s preached. Preached to thousands. He's still one of the most popular preachers. Today, his sermon still reprinted. He died many years ago, but still one of the most beloved preachers in 2,000 years. He preached in London. They printed his sermons here in the United States. United Kingdom used to be a place of deep spiritual growth. Last several years, though, sadly, we're told statistically 5% of people 
5% of people in the United Kingdom attend church regularly. How important is it that we stand our watch, that we place ourselves as a watchman on that rampart, look to the horizon, see what's necessary to address, to take action towards, to pray about, and keep our watch. Keep in mind, again, that life, what is it that people want? We'll talk about some answers here, some questions in just a few moments. Hope you'll take and write them down and answer them honestly. B.J. Miller, a fascinating person. He was asked, if you could tell people one thing, what would it be? B.J. Miller is a triple amputee. Both his legs and his arm were amputated. He was in a terrible accident, electrocuted in college, burns all over his body in a burn unit. He said for two months, a barrier between him and other people. And he said it was just grueling, pain, hurt, the, the physical pain, the emotional pain. Nobody could come in his room without this barrier. They had to wear a mask and gloves. The risk of infection was high. For two months, he said, then something changed. He said this was a pivotal therapeutic moment for him. A nurse brought him a snowball. And finally, he had some human contact and he said it changed his life because he looked at this snowball. One, he said it seemed so simple, but it brought him such joy. And second, he said, you know, snow turns to water. Life changes. Life goes through stages. So he said himself, I realized my life was going to change. And in this pain moment, it would eventually be transformed into something I could use. And now he's a speaker, entrepreneur, very successful person in business. But that one thing he was said, if I could tell people what I could say in a sentence, it was this. Don't believe everything that you think. Don't believe everything that you think. We have 60,000 thoughts a day. People often think things that are simply not true. They're not biblical. It, might, it may be thoughts of hurts that people said about them, and they repeat those to themselves. Don't believe everything that you think. It's a great cartoon. A man goes to a psychiatrist. Psychiatrist says, your problem is low self-esteem. It's a common problem among losers. So again, a humorous example, somebody speaking something into somebody else's life, but we all know real hurts where somebody has said something and maybe it was repeated and we say it to ourselves. You know, we are in the picture here, Mark Twain, what do people want? Well, they want happiness. They want something that lasts. We're gonna look at some examples of that. And then Paul's words in the book of Romans. Brad Robinson, many could identify with this. He minister had an emergency call, family had been through this tragedy. He sat down, didn't know what to say. This man was weeping and he was at a loss for words. He said, I told this man in the middle of this tragedy, look, there's gonna be a day when God is gonna take away all this pain and wipe away all these tears. And the man responded and what he said is very telling. The man looked at him and he said, I wish that were today. I wish that were today. We all have challenges and hurts. We all have wounds. We all have things we want to see different. And we wish that day of complete redemption were now. But there are answers here for today. And we're going to look at some of those answers. You know, there was studies interesting done with 
chimpanzees where they would give them an apple a day for a week. And then after the week, they gave the chimpanzees two apples. And then they took one of the apples away after a couple minutes. And what do you think happened? Well, when they took the apple away, the chimpanzees got very upset and started to make all these noises, got very aggressive with each other. This picture of being given something and then having it taken away. Interesting, psychologically. Tony Robbins said he saw this in real life. He got to experience this. And he said it was a moment that really changed things for his own perspective on life. What happened is he was on a business trip on a plane from the US to Australia. Long flight, 14 hours. What do you do on a plane? You know, for that long, it's hard to be a business person. It's a business flight, out of contact, no email, no way to contact people online. He says, as they boarded the plane, the stewardess says, I have good news. This is the first flight. We are going to have international online access to the web. Uh, He said you could have just pictured this, you know, great news. He said people were giving this lady a standing ovation and high-fiving, so much joy. And then the plane took off, and he said, 20 minutes into the flight, internet went down, it was down for the rest of the flight. He said, now you saw people being given something that was taken away. He said the anger, the complaining, the meanness to that stewardess. He said he looked at the situation and said, a few minutes ago we gave a standing ovation, and now, Circumstances changed and everybody's very upset. And he said he looked at that and said, you know, I know a lot of people that make good money. He said a lot of people make money. It's common. He said what's not so common though is finding people with true joy that doesn't get stolen by circumstances. And so he said, you know, you focus on and what you focus on is what you feel. What do we choose to focus on at any moment in time? What you focus on is what you feel. And he said he determined to try to be somebody, not common, but somebody that could be joyful despite circumstances. So what is it that people want? Paul in the book of Romans chapter 8, verse 9, just going to look at this verse. He says, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If it be the spirit of God dwell in you. Chapter 8 is a beautiful chapter where Paul says, you know, we're dead in sin. We're alive to Christ no condemnation in Christ. If you read chapter 7, those are the immortal words that Paul said, I don't understand the things I do. What I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I end up doing. And then he says, I'm a dead man. He's talking about sin. I don't want to sin, but I do sin. I want to do the right thing, but I don't. So when he gets to chapter 8, He says the answer to sin, to life, is now Christ lives in you. And when he says you're not in the flesh, you're in the spirit, because the spirit of God lives in you, the flesh is just another word for sin. And now Christ, he says, truly, literally lives in you if you have trusted him with your life. Here's something Warren Wiersbe says, a great quote about this verse. We have no obligation to the flesh because the flesh has only brought trouble to our life. 
we have an obligation to the Holy Spirit, for it is the Spirit who convicted us, revealed Christ to us, and imparted eternal life to us when we trusted Christ. What does that look like in real life? Not in the flesh and sin, but now in the Spirit. Incredible example of what that looks like is Susanna Crowder, an author. When she was a teenager, she had been beaten, neglected, found herself homeless and pregnant, addicted, eating out of dumpsters. As she shared in an interview, once she was seven months pregnant, it was very difficult to eat out of a dumpster. So she told God, I'm going to walk onto those train tracks and end my life unless you change something for me tonight. By the train tracks, she saw a library. She said, maybe there's an answer in a library. Went inside, saw a librarian stacking books, went over, took a book from that stack. She said she was not welcome there. The people in town called her the crazy homeless lady. She picked up a book, nonfiction book, said there must be answers in a book. And she sat down and read it. That book was Chicken Soup for the Soul. She read a very common story. You probably know it where a young boy went to buy a puppy. He saw puppies for sale and then separate. He saw a puppy that was on a discount price. He said, why is this puppy half off? The owner said, because that puppy's a runt, has health problems. You don't want that one. You want one of these puppies. And he said, no, I want the runt. And the little boy showed the man his foot. He had a cast on it. He said, that puppy needs someone to take care of him. A very well-known story. The beautiful part of the story, though, is the boy then said, but I don't want him on sale. I want to pay the same price for him that you're selling the other dogs. I don't want him half off. And so Susanna Crowder read that story and it opened her heart. And she said, I have value. Broken things have value. I am loved and I am worthy. And her whole life changed that moment as she found faith and hope and redemption And she said, you know, those people, I used to beg money and they'd give me a quarter. Now pay me very well as she's a business consultant. So everything changed in a moment when she recognized you don't have to live in sin. You don't have to live in the fleshly world of brokenness. You can find redemption. That redemption is yours if Christ liveth in you is what Paul says. He liveth in you is the promise. The second half of verse 8, 9 says, If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Or some versions say he is not in Christ's family. If you have not Christ in you, you're none of his. But if you have Christ in you, then you are his. And if you are his, you live differently because he lives his life in you. A joy that can't be taken. Not your religion, not your beliefs, not the things you say, but Christ lives in you by grace alone. Not something you earned, not something I earned. It's just his gift of grace and forgiveness. And when we surrender to that promise of Christ, he then lives in us literally. Something that changes everything. You're looking for something that can't be taken away. It's Christ. It's Christ in you. Paul says in Colossians, the mystery now revealed Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amy Carmichael, she put it like this. If you are his... You're going to have different thoughts. And she said this, Holy Spirit, think through me until your ideas are my ideas. That's the difference of living in the flesh or sin with no life, dead ends to living in the spirit. Christ in you, the hope of glory, hope now today and hope for eternity. The life that is truly life. Holy Spirit, 
think through me until your ideas are my ideas. What does Christ think? We're told we have the mind of Christ. We should start thinking like him, living like him, believing like him, walking like him in all things. Here's a great example. You can do this in 10 seconds. You want to live a little bit more like Christ? You can do this in 10 seconds. Chade Meng Tan came up with this. It takes 10 seconds. And the recommendation is you do this once an hour, pick a day, do it once an hour for the day. If you're at work, do it for eight hours, once an hour for eight hours. It takes 10 seconds. But what you do, find two people. You can do that now and you can do it on the road, do it driving by somebody, walking by somebody, somebody in Starbucks, somebody at church, somebody at work. One lady did this at work, said it changed her attitude. Her attitude changed towards others. Their attitude changed towards her. Whole atmosphere changed. 10 seconds. Chade Meng Tang said this, just look at two people and in your thoughts, you don't, have to, you don't say or do anything, you just think. They can be strangers, they can be somebody you know, but then you just, in your thoughts, say, I pray for or I bless this person to be happy. Find two people in 10 seconds, and then the next hour, do it again. What happens is you get out of your own self and think about others. I pray for or I bless this person to be happy. Two people in 10 seconds. What does scripture say? God is love. Our thoughts should be about others. Jesus cares about others. Our thoughts thinking about others. 10 seconds, two people. I pray for this person to be happy. I bless this person to be happy. What is it that people want? They want to be happy. Chade Meng Tang says, if you want to be happier, you have to want other people to be happier. Well, a way you can do that practically is just, I pray this person to be happy, or I bless this person to be happy. You see, that's the difference between life in the flesh and in the spirit. Paul, again, 8, 9 of Romans, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his, but we have the spirit of Christ, so we are his. Jack Canfield says it like this, what you identify with controls you. As we close, three questions. Answer these honestly. Write these down. Think about these later. Share these with friends. Share these with your spouse. The key is, you don't respond to somebody's answers. If you do this by yourself, read the question and then one answer. Read the question, one answer. Come up with five answers to each question in one minute. It's supposed to be rapid because when you do something rapid, it eliminates that false self we try to put in front of the world because our subconscious just answers quickly. Three questions, write these down, ask them of your spouse. When they answer, don't respond. Sometimes people say things that are hurtful about their own life. They don't need somebody to make an improper comment to them. You simply ask the question, they answer, they ask you, you answer. Come up with five answers for each question, no more than a minute's time. Or do this by yourself and write them down. First question, Jack Canfield came up with this called repeating questions. Who are you? Who are you? And then your answer starts with I am. So each answer, each five answers is I am. So who are you? For instance, the woman at the seminar said, I am Lisa, I am a mother, I am anxious, I am strong, I am ready for change. Who are you? What is your answer in your thoughts? I am, and do it five times. Who are you? I am. Who are you? I am. Five times. Second question, who do you pretend to be? Who do you pretend to be? Who do you pretend to be? This lady answered, happier than I am, wealthier than I am, more confident than I am. Who do you pretend to be? She said, okay. Who do you pretend to be? She said, at peace. 
You want honest answers? You got to have the honest questions and quickly just five responses to each question. Who are you? I am. And then the second one, who do you pretend to be? And the third one, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? She said to be happy, freedom, love, my dreams, my family. Who are you? Who do you pretend to be? What do you want? We need to stand on that rampart. We need to keep our watch. We need to recognize we don't live in the flesh. Now we live in the spirit and freedom in Christ and all things made new again in him because it can't be taken away. If you're his, think differently. If you're his, bless those around you. Take two people in 10 seconds and say, I pray for this person to be happy. I bless this person to be happy. Answer the questions honestly. Who am I? I am. Who do I pretend to be? What do I want? Billy Graham shared a great story called Getting In. 1800s, a pastor was called by a young boy. His mother was a prostitute. The boy said, my mom wants you to come help her get in. She's dying. He went to see this lady not knowing what to say. He said, don't you need a doctor instead of me? The boy said, no, she needs you. She wants to know how to get in. He said, get in what? She, he said, get in heaven. He showed up, not sure what to say. This lady's dying. She tells him about her life. She said, what do I do? He said, I didn't know what to say. I read some verses out of the Bible. She said, all I have to do is believe in Jesus. And he himself said with not much confidence, well, that's what the Bible says. She surrendered her life to Christ. He said the change, the peace, the joy that she had in that moment. He wrote down himself. That night, I not only got her in, but I got myself in. New life in Christ. If you're his, he lives in you. And if you're his, stand on that watch, keep your ramparts, and live to show him to others.